I am just getting home from a vacation, a much needed vacation. Shockingly, although I work for myself, I don't take many vacations. Here's why. There's a, there's a little wisdom to this, okay? Just a little, all right? Number one, I tried to shape my life in a way where I didn't have to take vacations, where I really enjoy the work that I do so much but I have a really great work-life balance set up so that, you know, I'm not living for the weekend, so to speak. I work and the next day I work on other things. Like I'm never doing the same thing every single day. Uh, there's a routine and there's a schedule, but it changes so frequently I have a lot of freedom. I have a lot of freedom to spend time with my friends and my family and do the things I want to do. And it's easy also for me to take time off. I'm not saying this to rub it in anyone's face. I'm saying that I really took a hard route to get to that point because while everybody else was making a lot more money than me and in a secure nine to five type of job right out of college, I couldn't pay my bills, was living above my parents' garage, and was determined to figure out how to do this. And now that I do it, I sometimes take it for granted. I'm not going to lie. I'll be real with you. I sometimes take it for granted. I take the amount of freedom and balance that I have in my life for granted until I sit down and I might talk about it, which is part of the reason why this podcast is so valuable because... I get to express myself. I get that space to really hear myself. I think I said this in a recent episode because I had a bunch of people reach out and say that really helped them to hear it put that way, that there is value in hearing what you're thinking about out loud, right? That's why we call a friend and we want to vent. That's why sometimes after a little venting session, you walk away with some clarity. Hopefully that's the intention behind going into that venting session, but that's a conversation for another day. Needless to say, I'm, I'm back from my vacation. This was the first time that I have actually gone on a trip and really didn't do any work, like at all. Because even if I'm not sitting down and having a session with a client, I'm I'm working 24-7. I have clients that have text message support. I have social media pages to run, content to create in real time for those social media pages. I have a Patreon community that I provide constant, like weekly and monthly content to. I have a resource center that a lot of you are students in, the Inner Genius, that I'm always trying to come up with new classes to film and edit and put in there. There's a lot of different things that I'm doing, answering um, podcast interviews, uh, things like that. So I'm never really not working, even if I'm making time for friends and family. This was the first time where I went ahead and blocked out the days that I was going away, did not bring a computer just in case, which would have been my MO years ago. Like those who have been following me for a little bit, you might remember years back, 
I, I had shared on social media, I was taking my first solo vacation and my first solo vacation was to Miami cause I'm a fucking nut. And I never blocked out the schedule. I allowed clients to book their sessions while I was in Miami. And, you know, some clients who had been with me for a while were like, I'm not doing that. You're on vacation. And I was like insisting that they do it, mainly because a trauma response, just a little wisdom here, a trauma response that you can have is sitting still, (laughs) not having anything to do. As someone who came from an upbringing where I was always in a role of being responsible and, you know, when I was relaxing or trying to rest, somebody kind of barged in and I either got yelled at for something or was held responsible for things that didn't have anything to do with me or was called lazy and told that I had to get up and and do something. Sitting still was not something, relaxing was not something that was really encouraged during my upbringing. We kept busy. We were very busy kids growing up. We were always into activities. So as an adult, I remember the the minute that I moved out of my parents' house and had my own space, I was kind of traumatized. I would sit on my couch in my apartment and it was quiet here and I had nothing to do for maybe a few hours and I was uncomfortable. I was on the edge of my seat and instinctually waiting for somebody to barge in or contact me with an emergency because that's that's the conditioning that was that that I had endured for a very long time not just in my house growing up but like in you know some of the jobs the nanny job that I had so you know to 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 create space deliberately where you're going to be present and not do anything can be traumatic in and of itself for somebody like that. So what I had to learn to do was sit in that space, sit in that discomfort and start to recondition myself to not expect the worst in the silence, in the space, right? Because if if what has been imprinted in my body, let's say, from a very young age was you get five to 10 minutes of relaxation and then somebody is going to charge in and need something or the other shoe is always going to drop, whatever it is, someone's going to yell at you. So your body starts to react to this predictable pattern even when it's not happening. So nobody's in my apartment, nobody's calling me with an emergency, because I'm in a different environment didn't mean that my mind registered the fact that this was not going to happen anymore. So I had to sit there and start to reprogram myself to to think differently and have my body respond differently to that relaxation. But when you take it out of that specific context and now you broaden it into the idea of like a vacation, it's the same thing, just looks a little different. When 
when when you think about a vacation, it's a time and a space to really decompress, right? To reset yourself, to relax. And being that from from a young age, I didn't know how to do that. I now know how to do that in my own home, but I had not really changed that pattern in in vacation mode because vacation didn't exist for me, number one, right? But number two, when I had booked quote-unquote vacations, I filled them with work and things to do. So I changed it this time, and whether it was conscious or not at the time, I, I don't know. I think it was more excitement to go on a vacation with my boyfriend and, you know, knowing he was going to clear space in his schedule for it encouraged me to clear space in my schedule for it because had he said I was, I, I'm going to be working throughout the time we're there, I probably might have, probably might have, makes complete sense in my head mirrored that and done something similar. Why, you ask? Because that that's my default. That's the easy thing to do for me is to just be busy. So to be challenged, right, to be in front of somebody who presented the opposite of what I would normally default to gave me the opportunity to grow if I wanted it. And so I took it right? I could have resisted. I took it by choice and and thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to block out my whole schedule too. And then what happened was he ended up having to have some meetings the second day we were there. And again, that presented me another opportunity to grow because I could have sat around in the hotel waiting on him to get done. But instead, I decided to go out on my own and explore which for me, once more, back in the day, little shy Amy would have wanted her hand held and to be shown around town instead of having to, you know, be proactive and go out on her own and get into some interesting things by herself without anybody leading the way. So that's what I did. So I had immediately a couple opportunities for growth. And this is how I like to look at life and and my, my life, but everybody's life in general. I'm always tuned in to, is this an opportunity to grow? Is this an opportunity to reflect? Is this an opportunity for me to speak up? Is I'm always looking for growth. That growth mindset is really at the forefront of everything I do. So anyway, let me tell you a little bit about my vacation. Uh, We camped in Bar Harbor. Now, I've never camped before in my life. Shocking, given that I'm 36 years old. I've never gone camping ever. I had no expectation. I did not know what I was what I was in for. I had a general idea. You know, there's a tent, there's a fire, whatever, wilderness and shit. Hmm. It, it was it was fun. It was fun. But I was taken back because the majority of people at the campground were in campers, not tents. There was there was less than a handful of us who, who were actually using tents. 
everybody else was in this decked out camper or like rented camper situation, which is fine. I'm not judging. Okay. I know a camper is nice, but you're not getting like the authentic camping experience. These people were retiring to their campers at like 730 at night to sit in their recliners and watch their TV inside without any bugs biting them. Meanwhile, we went full out. Like we went and got s'mores shit because I've never, I've never made s'mores over an open flame. I've never had a marshmallow on a little stick. I've never done any of this before. So I had a blast and nothing calls for presents more than sitting around a fire, like sitting around a campfire because there's nothing, there's nothing to do but talk to each other, stare at the flame, or stare at the sky. And, like, you could see all the stars. A flame is freaking hypnotizing if you stare at it. And I'm no pyro, but uh, give it a try. Give it a whirl. Go light a bonfire in your backyard tonight and stare at that flame. It hypnotizes you. It's meditative. It, it started to put me to sleep. Uh, had s'mores, delish. We made hot dogs over, over the fire. That was so much fun. Basic shit. It's so interesting to me how like sometimes it's the simple pleasures in life that, that we miss and forget bring us the most joy. Ironic though, how us humans have turned such a simple pleasure like camping into uh, an experience that involves a giant decked out camper with a TV and a stove and recliners and lights and an actual bed. It defeats the entire purpose. I was talking to Phil about it while we were there and we were laughing because it's just kind of like you just brought your entire home with you. Like, why didn't you just stay home? <laughs> or that's your home and that's fine. Respect, because I could get down with that too. But let's pretend like that's your home away from home and that's what you enjoy doing. It just doesn't make sense to me. However, after camping, I will say this. You end up realizing how many little things you need and it starts to accumulate to the point where I can see why somebody's like, you know what, fuck the tent. I'm just going to get a camper and put everything in the van or the truck. Somebody had an old mini school bus decked out as their camper, which was kind of cool. Like it's just, it's like a cool vibe. I don't know how else to put it because it was brand new. It, it was a brand new experience for me. Um, but really taken back that like the majority of people there were definitely in campers and in uh, and asleep. Like we were like lighting our fire around like 7 8 o'clock while people were retiring inside and going to sleep. And I was like, where's the party at? There's no, there was like one large family reunion situation happening and it looked like they never left their bonfire. And me and Phil were like, okay, like if we're them, we're getting sick of each other. But these other people, I don't know, was it the, was it the old person camping community that we ended up in? I'm not quite sure. These two ladies 
right next to us, okay? They had their camping van. Camp, camp, I don't have the proper terminology. Hang tight here. It's like a, it was not necessarily a camper. It was definitely more like a sprinter van that they were using for camping. But then they had this, like, this thing that looked like, oh my God, it, it looked like the doggy playpen that I bought for Dewey when he was a puppy. It was this extra large kind of like mesh netted tent type structure, okay, that there was nothing in it, okay? It was just, it's just a circle that you zip yourself into and they sat their two chairs inside of it and just stared at the lake. Just them, that's what they did. That was the extent of their outdoor activities. Did not make any sense to me. And then we had Svetlana and uh, it was some sort of 90 day fiance situation on the other side of us. They were camping in an actual tent they were also from Jersey, which we had to laugh, but it was definitely some sort of 90 day fiance situation. She really wasn't speaking that much. She was just kind of like robotically cutting vegetables and doing whatever he told her to do. And then we went to bed the last night there and we're inside the tent and all, and they had been in their tent lights out by 730, like the rest of the senior citizen community, although they looked like they were our age. And all of a sudden, we start hearing moans. Svetlana and her Jersey boy were having full-blown sex so loud at the campground. I could not stop laughing my ass off thinking about all of the old people on other sides of us who have been asleep for the last hour and a half listening to her moan so loud. So yeah, camping was fun. <laughs> um, we also went to Acadia National Park and hiked. Uh, we hiked this trail, the Jordan Cliff Trail, for those familiar. There's tons of trails there. There's one called the Beehive, and people legit die on that. So don't do that one if you go there. Uh, we YouTubed videos of it and then Googled, because out of curiosity, of course, like I'm standing on the edge of a mountain saying to Phil, hey, I don't think we should Google this right now, but I'm kind of curious how many people die here per year. And he was like, yeah, we'll do that one later, Aim, thanks. <laughs> so when we did do that, we discovered there was recent deaths and most of them are off of that beehive trail. I know morbid, but y'all know me. I roll right through the morbid stuff. So here we are on the other side of it. Uh, the trail that we hiked was extremely difficult. Um, again, Amy had no expectation. And I also don't doubt my physical abilities. I'm rather flexible and super athletic um, in really good shape. Uh, just don't really have great endurance in terms of like my breathing ability is kind of suck as we all have discussed in previous episodes. I still struggle with the mouth breathing, nose breathing, especially if I'm moving at a certain pace. So I run out of breath easily. My body will run right ahead of my breathing. So it's a little bit of a struggle sometimes. But if I can keep pace, I'm pretty much a badass, um, and you don't have to quote me on that. Phil actually labeled me a badass on this one. So 
we're climbing this thing and there's like rails like nailed into the like this was not just like a paved out trail like you are climbing on rocks and having to dig your hands into them because there's nothing to grip kind of kind of climbing uh again I didn't know what to expect he has been there before and did that one so he knew what we were getting into and he thought it would be a challenge for me so he was kind of blown away that I just like was not scared and went right through it um we got to the top yay didn't die double yay and then uh we also drove um uh separately um before we hiked we drove up Cadillac Mountain which all at Acadia National Park you can drive up Cadillac Mountain and then get out and walk around and then you can drive back down and do these other trails there's lots of different little lookout points there I love hiking he loves hiking Uh, I just love being in nature near water mountains trees things like that make me really happy and bring me a lot of peace so we had an amazing day it was really incredible ironically he had been to Maine on that hike like one year ago to the date. So it was kind of a a pivotal reflective moment for him as well, which I thought was rather special. I realized on this trip that things that should, and I'm putting quotations around should, make me scared. Don't, don't make me scared. (laughs) And things that definitely are not really scary for most people, terrify me, okay? Like, case in point, I'm climbing on the side of a cliff, walking past people, like, we're passing people on this trail who are terrified or couldn't figure out how to climb the rock, and I just go ahead of them and, like, hoist myself up and just keep on moving, like, without a flinch. Not scared. Just not scared. However driving over a bridge (laughs) terrifies me. Anyway, before I went on my trip, I had posed a question on Instagram where I asked you guys, or those of you who follow me, I just tend to assume if you're listening to my podcast, you probably follow me on Instagram. Uh, If you don't, you might want to check me out at Amy the Life Coach. Anyway, I asked a question where I said, what makes you feel disrespected? Like, what is something that can make you feel disrespected? And I got so many of the same answers. Some that I personally also feel, uh, which is when someone doesn't value my time. Another one that was popular was when I feel like I'm being misunderstood or I don't feel like I'm being heard or acknowledged or validated. Uh, So many good answers that I'm going to dig into um, probably in a class in the Inner Genius or I'm going to address in my Patreon community. But what I want to speak to today is when we are feeling disrespected, we have complete power and control over feeling respected again in in that moment or in that exchange. Case in point, when you feel like your time isn't being respected, you have complete power and control over setting new boundaries so that it is respected. You can tighten that shit up, okay? So to 
those who don't feel respected when somebody doesn't hear them or they feel like someone's not hearing them or acknowledging them, you have the ability to communicate in that moment and let somebody know what you're needing in order to feel heard. You know, you have to recognize that everybody's operating from their own level of, of consciousness. Everybody is behaving in ways that they've been conditioned to or that they default to or learned behaviors or perceived learned behaviors, things like that. So, you know, in order to receive what you're needing from other people, sometimes you got to give them direction. Sometimes you got to let them know this is how I feel heard or this is how I feel valued or this is how I feel validated or this is what I'm needing from you. You can't assume that everybody just knows what to give you and how to give it to you. You know, it's kind of like telling somebody how you like, you know, your, this is very Jersey of me, but how you like your pasta being made. Pasta was like a staple in our house growing up. And whenever I went to my Nana's house, that's my mom's mom, I would get Nana noodles. And Nana noodles were basically just ziti with red sauce. I say red sauce. Y'all say marinara. I don't say it properly because I say it very Jersey. <laughs> marinara sauce. Okay. Uh, don't ask me to say it with like an Italian accent. I cannot. All right. Uh, but you, you, you always had the option of saying, I just want buttered noodles or I want it with the red sauce and I want some Parmesan on it or Parmigiano, all those fucking Italian words that I don't remember how to say. Or you can be as specific of, as how you wanted the noodles cooked. Like, I want them al dente, or I want them a little mushy. Or, you know, whenever my grandma would make those shell, you know, the noodles that are like the shells, I liked them cooked to the point where they plumped up and they lumped together. So there were like shells inside of shells inside of shells. That's how I liked it. And I was that specific. You, again... It's probably not the best example, but it's the only one I could come up with at this time. You are detailed and clear, okay? You give them direction. You say, I mean, you do it in a restaurant these days. Like, I'd like my steak medium rare, or I'd like my eggs over easy, or, uh, you know, I'd like them runny, or I'd like them scrambled. We give direction so people know what we want. Why, for the life of me, we don't do this just naturally with other people when we're asking for them to validate us or support us or respect us is it, 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 it's lost on me. I don't understand where the separation occurred between we can be detailed about what we're ordering at a restaurant or what we want on our salad or how we want our burger cooked, but we can't communicate to people, this is how I hear this information and it makes me feel bad, so this is how I can feel better, right? You allow people to support you by letting them know what you need and want. Nobody knows what you need and want if you don't tell them. Back to my point, you have complete control over feeling respected. 
I never knew this information, so I think it's important to share. I was always somebody who was scrambling in her relationships and her environments to feel respected and really digging my heels in and white knuckling the fact that I didn't feel respected, but never knowing what to actually do to make the respect come my way. I didn't know. I just would lash out. I would just get angry. I would just demand to be respected or demand to feel heard or demand to feel supported. And I never received it that way because that's not how you receive it. You don't dig your heels in and slam your fists down and go, you need to respect me. There's there's a different route to take to actually cultivate the respect. And that route involves you actually letting somebody know how, how to do it. Y'all think and assume People just know what you need to feel respected. Well, guess what? What you need to feel respected and what I need to feel respected are two different things. Now, a lot of us have similarities, just like the answers pertaining to what makes you feel disrespected. A lot of us are similar. A lot of us don't feel respected when somebody doesn't value our time. But how I value my time and how you value your time are two different things. So let's... Let's give you a nice example. When you sign up to work with me, it's very clear how to book a session. It's very clear where in the calendar the sessions exist, like on what days of the week and what time slots and how long they are. I've mapped it out based on how I value value my time. And then you have no other option. Now, yes, this is a business. This is a service. And in order to to get my help and my support, you need to sign up and, and work the way I've set it up. But if you take that concept into your personal relationships and your personal life, just like I do, I communicate very clearly to the people in my life, here's when I'm available. Here's how I hear this information and here's how I could hear it differently. Here's how you can support me in feeling better in this exchange. Now the ultimate question is what do you do when you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to hear it? What do you do when you're dealing with a person who you feel disrespected by and you go to communicate and they just deflect? or they demand otherwise. I've dealt with many people in my life who when I'm trying to communicate with them, they interrupt me and talk over me and demand that I'm being disrespectful to them. They just manipulate and and really just flip the entire conversation that we're having where I'm trying to communicate my feelings in that moment and instead they lash out and they go, no, you need to understand that you're doing, and I'm thinking, I'm not doing anything. You're the one talking and demeaning and belittling me, but okay. So a lot of us do, in fact, and I, I know a lot of people listen to my guidance or read my guidance and they, they go, well, you've never dealt with a difficult person then because I can't do that. Or you've never dealt with a narcissistic person because you can't do that with those kinds of people. And I always come back and say, no, I, I do. I deal with a lot of difficult people. The thing is, is that when you're dealing with a difficult person, you have to recognize they're a difficult person. 
and then you have to act accordingly. When you feel disrespected by someone who won't hear you, and you try to communicate and they still refuse to hear you, there's enough information in that exchange for you to adjust the boundaries accordingly, right? They're already showing you once more they're not willing to hear you. So fighting back, demanding they still hear you, and then getting angry they won't hear you, that's on you. Instead, you try to communicate when you don't feel heard, and they show you once more they're not willing to hear, you now adjust accordingly. You now realize this is an individual who is unwilling. This is an individual who refuses to respect me enough to hear what I have to say and hear how I feel. And so now I'm going to behave differently with this person. I'm not going to engage anymore or I'm going to reduce my exposure or I'm going to pick and choose how I interact with this person. Maybe I'm comfortable being around them when it's in a social setting and I'm not confiding in them and it's not one-on-one time because I don't care if they hear me when there's a million other people in the room. The boundary itself, whether it's disengage, reduce exposure, or any of the other examples I provided, that's individual to you. There's not one way for everybody that's going to work. It's specific to you and how you perceive that person and the value they bring into your life. That's completely individual in terms of what you choose to do next. But I will say this because this goes across the board. If you're the individual who is trying to communicate that you don't feel heard and this person still won't hear you and you keep trying to communicate and they still won't hear you, then you feeling disrespected is because you are refusing to do something different on your end. At a certain point, you have to recognize This person is unwilling. This person is refusing to hear me and respect how I'm feeling in this situation. And so I've got to take that information and I've got to adjust on my end because they're unwilling to hear, support, respect, compromise, and adjust accordingly so that we can interact, we can communicate, we can support each other, and both feel respected in the process. You know, it's fascinating. A lot of people, a lot, a lot, I don't have a statistic for you, but a lot of people struggle with anxiety. And you know, the last episode that I put up, Anxiously Anxious, talks all about anxiety. I strongly encourage you to listen to that episode and share it with anyone in your life who struggles with anxiety as well. But when you when you feel anxious, when you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with feeling in control of yourself, of your emotional state, of how to, how to cope with what you're thinking and feeling. And what's and 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 in relation in relation to what is going on in the outside world, right? Because a lot of our thoughts and feelings are coming from past situations, but also their reactions to what's happening in real time as well. So you've got a control issue. 
in when you're struggling with anxiety. And that's a self-control issue. That's a self-regulation issue. That's a coping issue, okay? So when you think about that, and then you move over into the to the context that we're speaking about now, which is feeling respected, you know, a lot of you feel out of control when you're feeling disrespected. A lot of you will ask me questions like, well, I don't know what to do. Like I go to work and my boss does this and I don't feel respected or my coworkers do this or my spouse does this or my friend does this. You always have control over everything in your life, believe it or not, because you have complete control over what you're thinking, thus what you're perceiving, thus what you're feeling, and what you're doing. So I'm going to leave you with this. When you feel like you're being treated unfairly, you have control over that. Do something different. Set a boundary. Speak up for yourself. Get clear on what you need in order to feel like you're being treated fairly and then give people that guidance. Give them the, the directions they need to better support you. When you feel like people are lying to you, then you can speak up for yourself. You can set a boundary. Again, you have complete control over feeling respected. You have zero control over what they're doing. But if you feel like somebody's lying to you and you communicate with them and you ask them for the truth and they don't give it to you and you have the proof, then at the end of the day, you continuing to interact with that person and getting mad that they're like that, that's on you. You feeling disrespected in that situation is on you. I think we don't have an anxiety problem in this world. We don't have a control problem in this world. We have an acceptance problem in this world. A lot of people in this world refuse to accept the behavior and the, and the way other people are showing you they are. Where they're at in their life is where they're at in their life. You can give them the opportunity to straighten their shit out real quick by letting them know what you need in order for them to stay in your life. But if they refuse to hear it, if they are unwilling to, to find a way to meet you in the middle there, then you sticking around and getting mad about how they act and how you feel about it, that's a you issue. You're refusing to see what's right in front of you. So I want to close with a little story because I don't want you to think that I'm just ranting or preaching. I want you to know that I actively have to practice what I preach as well. And, and so I'm right now proactively in my life um, choosing to adjust my behavior with somebody that I've known for a long time and I'm feeling like she doesn't necessarily respect what I extend in her direction and I have communicated many times about it but I'm noticing lately, and especially because I was on vacation, had time to kind of step back and reflect on some things, uh, I'm noticing that a lot of my behavior over the years has been coming from a place of 
fear. I've been maybe tiptoeing around her behaviors or her reactions and pleasing and appeasing her just to avoid backlash because I don't like it when people are angry with me. I don't like when they've got an issue with me, especially when I know I've done nothing. Like people who are just dysregulated and lash out at me when I'm not doing anything wrong, quote unquote, is not something I like. And from from a young age have had to deal with. And so a lot of my people-pleasing patterns developed from exactly that. I was I was pleasing and appeasing people because I feared backlash and punishment. I feared somebody withholding love. I feared criticism. I feared judgment. I feared attack, all of those things. And I'm noticing I'm doing it with this person and I don't like it and I've tried to communicate and they're just not in a space, this is through my filter, where they're willing to put in the work to really comprehend that there needs to be an adjustment on their end. There's a lack of self-awareness, perhaps, uh, in their direction. When, when they look at themselves, they don't feel like they're doing anything wrong. And I'm a stickler for always holding myself accountable, even when it's blatantly obvious another person is wrong. I will always self-check and be like, how did I contribute to this? And I'm doing that in this situation as well. How am I contributing to this? And now it's my responsibility in order for me to feel better and feel respected and have an easier interaction on my end. I have to make an adjustment in my behavior. And so... I don't want you to ever think that I'm giving advice and not doing it on my end because I'm actively always applying what I'm what I'm saying you should apply as well. So there we have it.